Welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Swans, and today is the 13th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. O God, who through the grace of adoption chose us to be children of light, grant, we pray, that we may not be wrapped in the darkness of error, but always be seen to stand in the bright light of truth. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the Book of Kings. The Lord said to Elijah, Go, you are to anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat of Abel-Mehalah, as prophet to succeed you. Leaving there, Elijah came on Elisha, son of Shaphat, as he was ploughing behind twelve yoke of oxen, he himself being with the twelfth. Elijah passed near to him and threw his cloak over him. Elisha left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother, Then I will follow you, he said. Elijah answered, Go, go back, for have I done anything to you? Elisha turned away, took the pair of oxen and slaughtered them. He used the plough for cooking the oxen, then gave to his men who ate. He then rose and followed Elijah and became his servant. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You are my inheritance, O Lord. You are my inheritance, O Lord. Preserve me, God, I take refuge in you. I say to the Lord, you are my God. O Lord, it is you who are my portion and cup. It is you yourself who are my prize. You are my inheritance, O Lord. I will bless the Lord who gives me counsel who even at night directs my heart. I keep the Lord ever in my sight. Since he is at my right hand, I shall stand firm. You are my inheritance, O Lord. And so my heart rejoices, my soul is glad. Even my body shall rest in safety, for you will not leave my soul among the dead, nor let your beloved know decay. You are my inheritance, O Lord. You will show me the path of life, the fullness of joy in your presence, at your right hand happiness forever. You are my inheritance, O Lord. A reading from the second letter of St. Paul to the Galatians. When Christ freed us, he meant us to remain free. Stand firm, therefore and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. My brothers, you were called, as you know, to liberty. But be careful, or this liberty will provide an opening for self-indulgence. Serve one another, rather, in works of love, since the whole of the law is summarized in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you go snapping at each other and tearing each other to pieces, you had better watch or you will destroy the whole community. Let me put it like this. If you are guided by the Spirit, 
you will be in no danger of yielding to self-indulgence, since self-indulgence is the opposite of the spirit. The spirit is totally against such a thing, and it is precisely because the two are so opposed that you do not always carry out your good intentions. If you are led by the spirit, no law can touch you. The Word of the Lord Thanks be to God. Alleluia, alleluia. Speak, O Lord, your servant is listening. You have the words of everlasting life. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. As the time drew near for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely took the road for Jerusalem and sent messengers ahead of him. These set out, and they went into a Samaritan village to make preparations for him, but the people would not receive him because he was making for Jerusalem. Seeing this, the disciples James and John said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to burn them up? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went off to another village. As they travelled along, they met a man on the road who said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus answered, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another to whom he said, Follow me, replied, Let me go and bury my father first. But he answered, Leave the dead to bury their dead. Your duty is to go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, sir, but first let me go and say goodbye to my people at home. Jesus said to him, Once the hand is laid on the plough, no one who looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. I think I've mentioned to you before that um, early on in the piece, I actually wanted to call this podcast uh, The Good Thief. Um, And that was because, you know, so much of the material for my homilies is stolen. (laughs) I'm actually a a pretty good thief. Um, I'm good at it. Uh, But, uh, you know, hopefully it's also towards a good end. But I do usually tell you where I'm stealing from. And uh, today I'm stealing from Bishop Robert Barron. And in a homily he preached about this Sunday, he was speaking particularly about the first reading, Um, the one where Elijah places his mantle on the man who would become the successor to his prophetic ministry, um, Elisha. Um, It's probably pronounced Elisha, um, but uh, a lot of people will say Elisha just to help the distinction between Elijah and Elisha. I'll stick with Elisha. Anyway... Bishop Robert Barron made an interesting comment about the fact that Elisha was ploughing with 12 yoke of oxen. Now, the number 12 in the scriptures is very suggestive, and in a symbolic way, it speaks of the 12 tribes of Israel. But to translate the sense of the sheer wealth of having a 12 ox plough, Bishop Barron suggested that in today's language, it's something like a person driving a Maserati. (laughs) Having 12 yoke of oxen and a plough, which was so big that you know, it required 12 oxen to pull it, 
meant that Elisha was a high flyer. He's a bigwig. And when Elijah comes round, Elisha doesn't just decide to give his oxen to someone else. You know, leave it there until I get back. No, he kills the oxen and throws a banquet for his men. And he uses this enormous plough as firewood for cooking the feast. Now, it's clear that Elisha, he doesn't do things by half. When God calls, he follows. He trades in the Maserati, throws a celebration for his employees, and becomes the disciple of the great prophet Elijah. Now, when we switch over to the gospel, we can see that Christ has his own little Elisha moment. The gospel tells us that as time drew near for him to be taken up to heaven, that Jesus resolutely took the road for Jerusalem and sent messengers ahead of him. It's almost like a scene out of Hollywood. Knowing that he would suffer in Jerusalem, knowing that he was being called to a great and heroic mission that would lead to his sacrifice just outside the gates of the holy city, the Messiah turns his face toward Jerusalem and fearlessly walks the path laid out by the Father. You can almost hear the movie soundtrack in the background as this tremendous interior moment occurs within Jesus. He's decided, and his resolve is firm. He will do the will of the Father. It's an Elisha moment, because turning toward Jerusalem, he puts everything on the line. He trades in the Maserati, so to speak, and he follows the Father. What Jesus and Elisha are both demonstrating is the essence of what the scriptures teach us about the spiritual life. This is what the scriptures tell us is the aim of all human existence. We're to move from self-centeredness to God-centeredness. And this is what we see happening in Elisha. His life is not about the accomplishment of his own projects. His life is about the will of God. And so when Elijah boldly walks up to Elisha and simply puts his mantle over his shoulders, Elisha is docile enough to follow. And the same's true here for Jesus. His life is not about his own plans, his own self-aggrandizement, his own reputation, his own ego. It's not about his preaching career becoming a great rabbi, gaining the esteem of all the people, and, you know, we hear as well that they're so willing to make him king. No, his life is one that's focused on God. And so, he sets his face toward Jerusalem, and he begins to walk. But aren't they taking a terrible risk in entrusting their fates to God? When Elisha slaughters his oxen and burns his plough, when Jesus resolutely turns his face toward Jerusalem, how can they be sure that their lives will turn out well? And we're caught with similar questions. How can I trust God? How can I move away from my own secure self-centeredness and allow myself to be led by him? When we stop to think about who we are in the face of God, well... We're his creatures. We have our existence from him. And his creation of us 
is a pure act of love. The fact is, God doesn't need me. I don't add anything to his greatness. He was perfect before he created me, and he's perfect after he's created me. So why did he create me? He didn't make me in order to fill some kind of lack within himself. No, when he created you, when he created me, it was for no other reason than out of love for us. He wants us to be. The only answer is love. He created me so that I would exist, so that I would have life. God wants me to have life. So here's the thing then. I exist because of an act of love from God. And what God seeks to give me is life, the fullness of life. Now here's the decisive point. To discover life, I must surrender to God and receive the life that he is longing to give me. I can trust God's will for me because it is his will that I have life and have it to the full. Now, this is the great paradox of human life. We discover the fullness of human life when we surrender it to our Creator. Our lives accomplish their meaning when we are obedient to God. Surrendering to God and living for His purposes is the best thing for us because He is love and He gives the fullness of life. Our whole spiritual lives are focused on this shift from living for ourselves to living to God. And there's the strange thing, right? We would have thought that to find the fullness of life, we would have to do it our way. Be our own creators. Fulfill our own plans. Do it our way. There's the mystery. Human life actually finds its fulfilment in obedience. Obedience to God who loves us. Put it this way. Our happiness comes insofar as we turn away from sin and towards God. Now, if you're a regular listener to uh, Bishop Robert Barron, um, his Word on Fire Ministries, um, one of the things that he's very fond of quoting is something from St. Augustine. He defines sin as being curvatus in se, being curved in on oneself. Now, I think that's a pretty good description. The spiritual life is turning our gaze away from ourselves and towards God. And that paradox of human life is that happiness is discovered only when we're able to let go of our self-centeredness, when we're able to stand up straight, look up towards God and look out to our neighbour. Our lives are a proverbial turning away from the twelve yoke of oxen and resolutely setting our faces towards Jerusalem to walk the path of God. Jesus turns toward Jerusalem, knowing that though he's walking in the way of the cross, this path of obedience to the Father's will brings life 
brings the fullness of life, brings the resurrection. Now, when we view our lives in these terms, we can see what Jesus is getting at when he sternly rebukes those who put other priorities in front of following him. Those who suggest that there might be something more pressing than God-centeredness. Now, of course, this isn't to say that we shouldn't express dedication and devotion to our families. Saving our highest love for God doesn't mean that we need to hate everything else, but we learn ever more deeply in our spiritual lives that we must never prefer anything to God. To love the lovable things in our lives for God's sake. That's holiness. Well, the gospel today is an invitation for us to examine what in our lives holds the highest place. What are the Maseratis in my life that I'm not prepared to walk away from should God call me somewhere else? These are the things that occupy a higher place in my life than God. Now, it doesn't mean that God is calling us to forsake all things. Elisha and Jesus are examples in the scriptures of those who are called to this radical self-emptying. We might not be called to such heroism, but if I'm not prepared to follow, should God call, then my priorities might be a little bit out of whack. I'm being held bound by those things which attract me more than God himself. And so, you know... Let's face it, all of us, we're still on this path of conversion from self-centeredness to God-centeredness. So how do we take a step in the right direction if we do recognise that there are a few things that might be a little bit out of order in our lives, things that we love too much, and God, who we don't love enough? Well, it's here that an old-fashioned spiritual practice can be of good help. Fasting abstinence. Do a little penance. Do a little mortification. Giving up something that we love for the sake of God who we love more puts things in the right order and it enables us to choose. It enables us to obey even when it's difficult, even when it's a bit unpleasant. It's a school and the school is teaching us self-control turning away from ourselves and towards God and towards our neighbour. So maybe it means a little less social media. Maybe it means driving the car in silence instead of listening to music or a podcast. Maybe it means moderating snacking or, you know, eating a little less. All for God's sake. To step away from our self-centeredness and step towards God-centeredness. Now, you might object at this point and say, but hang on, Father, it's not Lent. Yeah, I know. I get it. It's ordinary time. In fact, it's the first green Sunday that we've had um, since Lent, in fact. But, you know, ordinary time. It's growing time. That's why the liturgical colour's green. So maybe as we enter this extended period of growing time, to do a little something 
every day. A little something to turn towards the Lord and away from ourselves. And we'll see the kind of growth that it brings about. We'll see how we grow in holiness, in obedience to the will of the Father. And I hazard a guess to say we'll also see how we grow in happiness. Thanks for praying with us. And may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father.